Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we will be. For the last several weeks, this is actually I think about the fourth week, we have been in a new series titled, Leave Your Mark. And of course it's a play on words as we are working our way this summer through the Gospel of Mark. And as we said from the very beginning, that Mark left his mark on the world by giving us the story of Jesus. If you'll remember, he was riding in an atmosphere of turmoil. There was a lot of persecution that had broken out. It was coming against the church, and nobody had taken the time to write down the story of Jesus yet. Paul had written down a lot of his stuff, but nobody had written the Jesus story yet. And Mark, and maybe Peter, realizing that time is of the essence, as Nero is turning up the fire of persecution, realizes we have got to get this story down. We've got to let people know about the story of Jesus. And so he sits down with Peter. Peter tells the story and Mark puts it on the page. And we have the gospel of Mark. It's the first gospel that was written and it is action packed. It moves quickly. There's a lot. I mean, in the first two chapters alone, we have seen a lot of stuff happen. We've seen... Jesus going out into the wilderness, we've seen him baptized, we've seen him fighting temptations, we've seen him heal multiple, multiple, multiple people. We've seen him call his first disciples, and that's only in the second chapter. Last week, remember, as we talked about uh, a, a little drop of faith. We talked about hole-in-the-roof ideas, and that to reach our people today, to reach people today, it is going to take hole-in-the-roof ideas. And I challenged you last week to begin thinking about some of those hole-in-the-roof ideas. Okay? Remember, those four guys brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they couldn't get in the door. Because there were so many people there, and they didn't let that deter them. Instead, they took him up on the roof, they peeled back part of the roof, and they lowered him down to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith, he forgave the man, and then he healed the man. And it took some outside of the box, some creative and, let's be honest, destructive thinking to get this man to Jesus, but they did. Jesus forgave him and then Jesus also healed him. And so the challenge laid out was, we want you to start thinking about some outside the box ideas about how we can reach people. Outside the walls is one of those, but we are asking for more. How can we maybe think about things in a different way? What's a way we can adjust our approach to go out and to reach people in the name of Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to them? And so John Mark left his mark by giving us the story of Jesus. We leave our mark by sharing the love of Jesus with those that we come in contact with. Now then, that sounds really easy, does it not? It is really not easy. Am I right? Come on, that's, if, it's not, if you think it's not easy, say amen. Yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. 
Okay, because a lot of times it involves putting ourselves out there. It involves risk. Okay, we might be ridiculed. It might even be reprimand that we're, uh, we're, we're faced with if we choose to do it at work. And our company policy is, hey, don't talk about your faith. Okay, and so that's, you know, that's, that's what we're kind of wrestling with throughout this series of what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? Are we content to just sit in these seats week after week, you know, do we just want to leave marks in the chair or do we want to leave marks in our community? Okay, and remember, whatever you do, whether you're following Jesus or not, you're always going to leave some kind of mark. Okay, it's, it's not like if I don't do anything, I'm not leaving a mark. No, and, and Jesus kind of addresses this. He says, you're, you're either with me or you're not. You know, there's no neutral Okay, if you're not with me, then by default, you are against me. Okay, there's no neutral ground. There's no pause button there. Okay, so what kind of marks do we want to leave? If we're not leaving spirit marks and Jesus marks, then we're leaving other kind of marks. Okay, other kinds. And they may not all be unhealthy or or harmful, but they're not advancing the kingdom. And that's what we're trying to do, to advance God's kingdom. And it's tough. It's not easy. We're going to look at a story today that is probably something that a lot of us can understand. Either because we have participated in something like it, or we have been in the role of of one of the main characters here. Many years ago, more than a decade ago, when I was doing, uh, when I was still a, a youth minister, our ministry was beginning to attract people uh, of really just kind of all stripes. And it was good and it was growing and it was going really, really well. We were attracting a lot of marginalized kids, kids that were sort of on the fringe and they didn't really have anywhere that they fit, but within our ministry they found a spot, they found a home. Okay? They were loved and they were accepted and they were cherished and in some cases for the first time in their life they felt like they had a place to belong and it was great. Okay? And we spent a lot of time you know, fellowshipping together, sharing meals together, really getting to know one another. And for, for a large part of that particular church, that was a really exciting thing. But unfortunately, there was another group. It was a small group, but they were not as excited about it. As a matter of fact, they went as far as to write a letter to the elders of that church, suggesting that I be dismissed from my position because of the element that we were attracting. Because a few people did not want their kids who were more affluent, did not want them associating with those that were less affluent. And it was, honestly, it was it was disgusting. To watch that, and to, to and in fact, I saw the letter. I read in black and white 
You know, and it's one thing to, you know, to have me fired, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, are you serious? You're telling me that these kids aren't good enough for Jesus? Does that make sense to you? Because it doesn't make sense to me. But a lot of times, as, as, as sad as that is, that can be pretty prevalent in a lot of places. Okay, And if we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, that cannot be a part of who we are. Now then, if you're visiting with us today, you're in a good place. And you're not going to find anything like that. But, it doesn't mean we don't need to be reminded that we can all slip into something, right? Okay? Because chances are, chances are probably pretty good that at one time or another in your life, maybe a long time ago, maybe right now, maybe it's your whole life, but at least one time or another in your life, someone has probably looked down on you for who you are, where you come from, what your background is, or mistakes that you made. Am I right? Amen? All of us. Everybody can relate to that, right? Okay, we can relate to that. And it is not a good feeling, right? Nobody likes to feel that way, yet we do it. And chances are also pretty good that maybe we have been the ones looking down our noses at somebody else. Okay? I'll be the first to admit that I've done that. Okay? I have looked at people and I have made wrong and harsh judgments about them based on those things that I just said. Am I the only one in the room who's done that? Come on, don't leave me hanging. Come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For some reason, we do that. You know why? Because it's easy. Just like we talked about last Sunday, it is really, really easy to judge somebody. Is it not? It's so easy. But guess what? We are so bad at it. We are terrible at it. And just like we talked about last week, God knew it. And that's why he said, hey, look, this whole judging thing you got going on, that's not your job. I got that. You love the people. I'll take care of the judgment. Why? Because we stink at it. Why? Because I am really, really good at judging you. And I'm more than willing to be critical of you and what you're doing and your faults and your flaws and everything that you mess up on, but I'm not as willing to be as critical above me. Right? You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what judgment, that's kind of how judgment works. But we, we do this. Or maybe, and hopefully this is us, if we're going to be one of these three things, maybe this is the one. Maybe you have been ridiculed for loving those who were deemed unlovable. And if that is you, carry on. Okay? If you have been talked about, put down, reprimanded, whatever, for loving people that were deemed unworthy, unacceptable, unlovable, carry on. Keep doing that because that is part of the gospel. Okay? That's part of what Jesus 
calls us to do. And that's what we see him doing in this story. We're only going to look at a few verses today from Matthew, uh, from, from Mark. But it's in these few verses, these, these four, five, six verses, that Jesus leaves a very powerful mark on a guy named Levi. So let's begin reading in Mark chapter 2. Let's start in, uh, in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. This is what we see all the time. Jesus right now is enjoying incredible fame. Okay, incredible popularity as a teacher and as a healer. Now then, that's not the only thing he wants to be known as, okay? He doesn't just want to be known as the healer. That's why he told the guy that he healed earlier, hey, don't say anything. Okay, the guy disobeyed and went and just did it anyway. And now Jesus is known as this great healer. But he also wants to be known as the one who's coming to bring peace, who's coming to bring a, a, a change, coming to bring something new, this new and abundant life. And so he's back home, he's in Capernaum, he's walking by the sea, the crowd sees him and he begins teaching them. Now then look at verse 14. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now then, there is a account just like this in the other gospels and Levi is not called Levi there. He is referred to as who? Anybody know? Matthew. Matthew. And his job is a tax collector. Okay? He's sitting there. And you see, did you notice the same pattern as when Jesus called Andrew and Peter and James and John? Jesus is walking by the sea. Here's these guys. They're doing their regular day jobs. They were out fishing. Okay? And... Jesus says, follow me. They leave their nets. They leave their father Zebedee and they go and they follow Jesus. They dropped everything to go and, and follow him. Same kind of thing happens here. Jesus is walking by the sea. He sees the tax booth where Levi or Matthew is sitting. And he says to him, follow me. And the same result happens. Levi gets up from the tax booth and he follows Jesus. Now then, these guys walked away from everything. There is a question that is begging to be asked, and it's what would cause Levi or Matthew to walk away from his livelihood? Would anybody else just, if somebody said, follow me, would you get up and walk off your job forever without asking a few questions? No! But these guys did. Levi gets up, Follows Jesus, walks away from his tax booth. So what would cause him to do this? Because if you are a tax collector, and, and he's probably working for Herod, collecting the taxes, and supported and backed 100% by Rome, because Rome's going to be getting some of that money too. Okay? You could get pretty, pretty wealthy doing that job. A lot of times, tax collectors were not given a salary. They would collect the required tax, and then they were allowed to extort you 
for their own income. There was no law against that, and they got to determine what that percentage was. And a lot of times, they got rich doing this, okay? There's another story in the Bible about a wee little man, Zacchaeus. You know, a wee little man was he. Well, he was a rich wee little man, okay, for doing this very thing, okay? Tax collectors are the most hated people in the Bible, Okay, and I'm going to draw another point about that in just a second. But right now, we're wondering, why would he just get up? Why would he walk away from this? Well, if you have read Matthew's Gospel, then you may have noticed that in his Gospel, in the book of Matthew, he quotes more of the Hebrew Bible than any of the other Gospel writers. Have you ever noticed that? There's a whole lot more Old Testament in Matthew than there is in Mark, than there is in Luke than there is in John. In fact, he may have them all be combined. Okay? So what we know is that Matthew, he is a Hebrew. And he grew up, he would have gone to Torah school till he was at least 12 years old. And he would have, rem- he would have memorized all, if mostly all of the Torah. And he would know these scriptures, they would be written in his heart. And the word means a great deal to him. But he didn't choose to follow that and become a rabbi, or either they didn't accept him. The rabbis, you know, he may have applied to, to, to follow after a rabbi, and a rabbi didn't accept him, or whatever. Something happened, and he became a tax collector. Okay? And so he's sitting there, and he's taking his money, and he's taxing these people, and they absolutely hate him for doing this, because they know that he is extorting them for the powers that be. Okay? And this is a great example of you can't buy me love. Okay? Money can't buy happiness. You know? And so when Jesus comes by his tax booth and says, follow me, it seems that that Matthew, Levi, he's ready and willing to for somebody to come along and say, hey, look, let me show you a better life. And that person happened to be Jesus. Jesus comes by and says, follow me. And Levi, he gets up and he follows him. And it absolutely changes his life. Look at verse 15. I want you to read the, uh, the words in red with me. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Now, depending on what version of, of this that you're reading, it might say that he's at Levi's house, or it might be talking about Jesus and it connects the house to Jesus, meaning it could be Jesus' house. That you know, there's debate about that among scholars, and we're not going to try to figure that out because it doesn't really matter. But the point is, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Okay? Now then, I said a minute ago that the tax collectors were the most hated people in the Bible. How do we know that? Because they get their own category of sinner. Okay? It's not just, this is not just garden variety sinner, 
okay, like you and me, okay? If you're a tax collector, I mean, it's like we've got sinners and then there's tax collectors, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And so they're their own brand. They're special. I mean, it's like, you know, they, 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 those that believed in hell probably believe there's like the special place in hell for tax collectors, okay? They're really going to get it because they're extorting the people, Okay, and so this is a big deal and this is a scandalous thing. But here we have Jesus, who is supposed to be the Messiah, who's this great prophet of God, who's doing all these things. He's this great teacher who's teaching with this new authority that we've seen all throughout the the book so far. And he's sitting at Levi's house or maybe his own house. Either way, he's throwing a party for the sinners. Okay, and not just a few of them. There's a bunch. His disciples are there. And there are many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, in Pharisees, it literally means separated ones. Okay? And what do we know of the Pharisees? That they wanted to get it right. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to get it right. The problem is when getting it right and being so focused about getting every single thing right and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's gets in the way of serving others and loving others, then getting it right is getting it wrong. Does that make sense? But that's what the Pharisees were like. They wanted to get it right. Okay? And guess what? If you hang out with sinners and tax collectors, that might rub off on you. You might catch something like tax collectoritis or something like that. Okay? You don't hang out with people like that if you are a righteous person. Okay? And, and, and Scripture kind of talks about that. You go back and you read the Old Testament and it talks about keeping counsel with the wise and not the wicked and yet here is Jesus hanging out with people that are considered wicked. Why? Because Jesus is a game changer. Okay? Jesus is the one that came and said, you've heard it said this way, but now I'm telling you, this is the way. Okay? That's where the whole new authority thing came from. Okay, Jesus is expanding on the law. And so these Pharisees, these separated ones, they see what Jesus is doing because they're dining in an open courtyard. And they see that he's sitting there with Levi and Levi's tax collector buddies. You know, the worst of the worst. And they're probably thinking, how can this guy... who claims to be from God, how could he be hanging out with these people? If he were a true prophet, he would know better. And so they don't go to Jesus. They go to these guys, to the disciples, and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's why. Because Jesus eats with everyone. That's why Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. That's why Jesus would eat at your table. 
That's why Jesus would eat at my table. Because Jesus eats with everyone. This is a sign that hangs into the entrance way of our kitchen. If you've been in our house, you've, you've seen it. It's, it's, it's big. And you can't get into our kitchen without noticing it. And I really, I really love that sign. Uh, because for me, it is, it's two things. One, it's a, it's a prophetic witness. But two, it's also a reminder to me that Jesus loves all without exception. And it's a reminder that all are invited around the table with Jesus. Okay? And if we are going to leave our mark, you really want to leave your mark on somebody? Invite them to sit with you around a table and share a meal. Because that's where you get to know people. That's why we had such a strong emphasis on the table last year. Okay, I don't know how many Sundays we worship together in here sitting around tables. Getting to know people. Getting to, and we talked through communion. Shh, can't do that. But we looked at one another and we passed bread and we, we talked about what the bread means. And we talked about what the cup means means and, and, and salvation and Jesus and all of these things. We spent time around the table, not only taking communion together, but how many meals did we share together around tables? Okay? You want to know the reason why I think Thomas University keeps coming back? It's not because we're really awesome at food, which we are. But it's because they feel the love around the tables. I promise you that's what it is. They feel the love. They feel the connection. They feel the communion around those tables. The reason Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners is because Jesus eats with everybody. So think about this. If we are the hands and feet of Jesus, if we are the manifestation of Jesus, then guess what? Who do we need to be eating with? Everybody. Doesn't matter. We eat with everybody because Jesus invites all around the table. When Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but it's those who are sick. Now, Jesus knows their thoughts, and, you know, Jesus is, is brilliant. Okay, he, he doesn't give them a pop quiz like he did last week. He lets them off the hook this time. But he makes this statement. You want to know why I eat with these people? Because the well, and I, I, I sort of picture, you know, we, Jesus, I'm sure they didn't do the scare quotes like we do now. But I can imagine the 2019 reboot of this. Jesus saying, it's not the well who need a doctor? I'm not here for the well. I'm here for the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous. But I came to call sinners. Those who have blown it, know it, and know they need me and there's no other way. People who are open and honest about their sin. Okay? I would much rather be with somebody 
who cusses and blows it and you know drinks or whatever, is, but is honestly trying, honestly struggling with that temptation, wrestling with it. They might fail, but yet they're trying to do good. I would rather hang out with somebody like that than somebody who has all those other things and won't be honest about it and acts like they've got it all together and looks down their nose at that other person. I would much rather hang out with person A than person B. Why? Because I am like that. Okay? We want to get people coming. That means we have to recognize our own sin. We have to recognize our own need for Jesus. And that also means we have to be open about our struggles. And so that when we see someone else struggling, you know, somebody else has fallen down, we pick them up or either we go down and get them and say, hey, you know, I've been down here. I know what this is like. I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to be judged. I know what it's like to just absolutely blow it. But Jesus loves you. And I will too. And you help them up and you, you walk. Walk with them. Jesus said, you know, when Jesus says that, it's in, 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 in a way it's a judgment to, these, to the self-righteous and, and hypocritical uh, Pharisees. But in another way, it's a very much a lack of judgment. Because he's not judging the tax collectors. Okay, he's accepting them right where they are. Either by inviting him to his house or going to their house. It doesn't really matter. Either way, Jesus is hanging out with these people that were deemed unlovable. But if we are not willing to do that, then guess what? We are just like the Pharisees. And then this judgment applies to us. It then means we are the well. And we are the righteous. Which I, that's the well and the righteous that I don't want accredited to me or anybody else in here. Okay? If anybody listens to the podcast and they just come in at that moment right there, they're going to run me out of town for being a hypocrite. <laughs> being a heretic. If that is you, go back to the beginning. (laughs) We're the sick. We are the ones who need a doctor. We are the ones that need to have dinner with the doctor. Okay? With, With Jesus. So let's talk about leaving our mark. As I've been doing the last, this is I think week three or four that I've done this. There's two questions that we're, we're dealing with. One, what do we need to know based on the text? And then what do we need to do about what we know? Okay. The first deals with how Jesus left his mark. The second deals with how we respond and how we leave our mark. So the first question is, what do we need to know? And it's this, that Jesus left his mark by loving the unlovable. Right? He left his mark by loving the unlovable. So then, now that we know that, what do we need to do? We need to leave our mark by extending the same love and acceptance to others. But pay attention, there's more. 
the same love that was also extended to us. Okay? And that can be tricky sometimes for us. Because, and this gets back to the whole judgment thing. I'm well aware of the depth of grace that I have been given by God. But I'm not always well aware of a tendency to withhold grace to others. Does that make sense? We have to be willing. If we're going to leave our mark, we have to be willing to extend the same love, the same grace, the same mercy, the same compassion, the same acceptance. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything somebody does, but you do have to love them. Remember, if we're going to leave judgment to God, we're going to love God's people. Okay? It means we have to extend those same things to them that were extended to, to us. Here's, a, uh, here's an interesting quote. It comes from what's called the Devil's Dictionary. It's the definition of an evangelist. Ambrose Bierce writes in, Devil's, in the Devil's Dictionary, An evangelist is a bearer of good tidings, particularly in a religious sense, such an assuring of us and our own salvation and the damnation of our neighbors. That's not a definition I want said of any of us. Okay? Because what that is, that's, that's self-righteousness right there. Okay? A true evangelist brings the good news. Okay? This is a mockery of what evangelism is. Okay? But unfortunately, a lot of people take this approach. They'll talk about the good news and what the good news means to us and how good it is for me while at the same time casting out damnation and condemnation on others. That's not what it's about. Our job, our job does not require condemnation and our job does not require damnation of anybody. Our job is to love people and leave all of that stuff to the one who is way more qualified than we are. To leave that to God. Now then that doesn't make it easy. But that's what we're called to do. David Garland says this. He says, other religions are the result of a human search for God. Christianity presents itself as God's search for humans even those the world deems the most unworthy. You want to leave a mark? Leave that kind of mark. Okay? Not the other kind. Not from the the slide before. Leave that kind of mark right there. The mark that says, I was unlovable and yet I have been loved. Therefore, I will go and love the unlovable who have not been loved. And I will love them the way Jesus does. So to our final play on words, question marks. Question number one, who are the Levi's in my life? Because chances are good you know somebody in your life. You know there's a Levi in your life. Somebody that is unlovable. Okay? We all have them. If you don't have that person in your life, you might want to look in the mirror. It might be you. Okay, I'm just saying. 
could be you. And we'll love you. But here's the question. Who are the Levi's in my life? Second question. Am I willing to risk what others think of me in order to share the love of Jesus with them? Am I willing to risk that? Okay, because this Jesus thing does involve some risk. And then the last question, and maybe one of the hardest questions is this. Are they accepted at my table? Okay. And so maybe that's part of the challenge for this week. Figure out who the Levi is and maybe invite them to a meal. Sit down with them, share the love with them, even in the midst of whatever it is that annoys you to death about that person or makes it difficult to love. Now then, that's not possible in all cases because I recognize that there's, you know, there's family conflict and there's separation and distance and maybe even death. You know, you know there's all kinds of reasons why you can't. But if there is there the possibility for that, I want to challenge you to consider doing that. To consider finding whoever your Levi is and getting around a table with them. Because I think when we share a meal, there's something holy that happens there. Fellowship happens. Breaking down of barriers happen. Common humanity comes to the surface. Because guess what? Every single one of us needs to eat. And every single one of us is broken in some way, shape, or form. So that's the challenge. There it is right there. Go and leave spirit marks.